0: Woodside Church podcast.
1: Good morning. My name is David Devenish and I'm one of the pastors here at Woodside Church and it's my privilege to be speaking to you this morning. Now we've just finished a great series entitled Church Rebooted. Martin's given us such helpful teaching on equipping the church to be who we're meant to be in this new season. And so we thought that having done that It will be very helpful for us to look at, in a new series, a Bible character who teaches us how to live a godly life, a life full of faith and action. And has many lessons to help us for this new season that God has for us as a church that Martin has described. And the person I have chosen is Elijah. He's a very important figure in the Old Testament. And he's also referred to in the new. Now, in Jesus' time, obviously, they only had the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, because the new wasn't written until sometime after Jesus had returned to heaven. And the Jews of that day, in Jesus' day, used to talk about the Old Testament and describe it, not as the Old Testament, obviously, because they didn't have a new, they called it the Law and the Prophets. And the two main characters were Moses, representing the law, and Elijah, representing the prophets. So Elijah is a very key person. But the New Testament says he was as human as we are, which is why we're using the title for this series, Elijah, as human as we are. He was a great man, but he was just a man. So let's read the scripture that refers to that. It's from uh, the letter of James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. And it reads like this. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are. And yet, when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, None fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. So he had amazing power with God in prayer. Yet he was just like us. The other time that word is used in the New Testament is when Paul and Barnabas had healed a lame man in a place called Lystra in the book of Acts. And the people were so impressed by this that they started to worship Paul and Barnabas as gods. And Paul said, no, 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 don't do that. We're human just like you. That's what the word means. So as we study this most famous of Old Testament prophets, remember he was just like us so we can live like he did. So let's be encouraged. Now I'm calling this first message, Our Obedience, God's Provision. And Lena is going to read some of that story and then I'll tell the rest.
0: 1 Kings chapter 17 verses 1 to 16. Elijah fed by ravens. Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Kirith Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kirith Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. The widow at Zarephath. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarapheth. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said. But make a little bread for me first, then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days there was enough flour and olive oil left in the containers just as the lord had promised through elijah
1: thank you so much lena now the books of kings these two of them give the history of israel from solomon onwards until uh, they were, the, the people of Israel were taken into captivity, into Babylon. And after Solomon's death, the, divi- the nation divided into two. Each, Israel and Judah, each gradually falling away from God to serve idols, just like the Canaanites had earlier under Joshua, the people of Israel, had dispossessed. And so they just became like the nations around. And that's a constant danger for the church where we just become a bit like everybody else around. As the standards of morality in the world fall, so they do in the church. And so it's a great danger for us. And that's why eventually they were taken, the people of Israel were taken into captivity. However, the center of the books of Kings focus on two prophets, as if to say, in the midst of all the problems, this is what God is doing. Two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. God was showing he's still in charge and moving and creating godly communities. They were called the sons or the descendants of the prophets in the middle of the general ungodliness of people around. And God wants us to be those that, yes, serve our culture, express the good things in our culture, but live differently from the moral standards within our culture. And Elijah appeared out of nowhere. And he speaks confidently and boldly, knowing he has the word of the Lord, because he served or stood in the presence of, it could be translated, God. That's how he described prayer, serving or standing in the presence of God. When you are praying as an individual or together, you are In the presence of God, you're serving him and you're serving God's accomplishment of his purposes in the earth. Not just asking for things, you're serving God. And he said, there'll be no rain or dew in Israel except, except at his word. He'd heard the word of the Lord. He knew he'd heard it and he gave that challenge to King Ahab who was a very wicked king, who together with his wife Jezebel was serving Baal, who was the Canaanite god of storms, rain and fertility. So there was this false god, this false idol, who was said to bring rain and fertility to the earth. Jezebel, who came from a country north of Israel, uh, worshipped this god and changed the whole along with Ahab, changed the whole focus of Israel from Yahweh, the the true God, to Baal. And the prophetic word from Elijah was a direct challenge to this idol, because this idol was supposed to bring the rain and the dew. And he said there won't be any. Prophetic words still come to call us away from idolatry in its modern forms of materialism, consumerism, nationalism, and many other things. God then instructs Elijah to run away, because Ahab was after him, into the desert by a wadi. That's a stream. Some of you have seen wadis. A stream that only functions in the rainy season. And he said, ravens will bring you meat and bread. It's very strange for a raven. A raven is a scavenger that goes and eats dead meat around the place. That These ravens will bring you bread and meat. And also, that was a good meal. Because it was very rare for meat to be eaten twice a day in those days, as it has been through most of history for the ordinary people. And this was God's abundant provision. He had water. He had bread. And he had meat twice a day, abundant provision from our God to his prophet Elijah. And Elijah obeyed and went and sat by this wadi. However, the wadi dried up as it would do. And so God then said to Elijah, go 90 miles away into the nation that Jezebel came from. So outside of Israel. And he was sent to the poorest of the poor in that land. A widow with nothing left to eat because the drought was affecting them as well. And Elijah said, feed me first. Now to Westerners, that sounds strange. It's normal in Middle East hospitality. If you've been to the Middle East, they serve the guest first. But very extreme in this circumstance. Because that was all she had left. And that's what she and her son were going to eat and then die. However, God said, or Elijah said, and God provided, that if you do that, your flour and your oil will never run out. A miracle of God's provision like he's done many, many times. Later, this widow's son died. And she said to Elijah, man of God, have you come to cause God to remember my sins and let my body die? Probably she recognised there was a God that Elijah served, but it was a very superstitious view of God. Oh, you've just come in the end to bring a curse on me. Elijah prayed and he laid himself on the dead body. Contrary to the law. You weren't supposed to touch a dead body like that. And the boy lived. The mercy of God. Always overcomes. Legalism. That is. If the law is not serving us. In these circumstances. The mercy of God. Overcomes it. Which is like a picture of the gospel. As we'll see later. So. What lessons do we learn from this story? Well, the first lesson is this. Elijah was obedient to God despite immense pressure. Many believers all over the world today are under great pressure. from Persecution. They can't meet often. With the pandemic... We've been under a different sort of pressure. But Elijah, whatever the pressure, was obedient to God. And he spoke God's word boldly to the king. He said, it's not going to rain. He obeyed God by going to the desert and sitting by the wadi, Keris. He obeyed God by going to Zarephath in the country to the north of Israel in those days. Even though those were far from the obvious places to go, you wouldn't expect to sit by the wadi in the middle of a drought or to visit a widow in the land where the false god was served. And James therefore says in the scripture we read earlier, the earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power. Elijah was just like us, as human as we are, but righteous. So what does that mean for us today? Well, when you read the New Testament, the word being righteous, is actually used in two ways firstly the new testament teaches that because Jesus was completely righteous never sinned and he carried all our wrongdoing when he died on the cross a wonderful exchange took place our sin our ungodliness Or as people say today, our mistakes, because we often don't like the word sin. Our mistakes, our sin was placed on Jesus. He himself bore our sin in his body on that cross, as the scripture says. And when we come to believe in him, by the grace of God, that's his undeserved love to us. The righteousness of Christ is placed upon us. And so, when God looks on us, whatever our past, whatever our failings, he sees us as righteous in Christ. We can pray boldly because of Christ says come into his presence with boldness or with confidence and we can do that we can come as righteous people however the new testament doesn't end it there he also the new testament also calls us by the power of the spirit with the abundance of the grace of god upon our lives to live obedient and righteous lives okay so yes we are righteous and that's one way that we can be described as righteous but we're also called to live righteously to live in a godly way by the power of the holy spirit and both are equally stressed in scripture. And today, if we stress living righteous lives at the expense of the grace of God making us righteous, if we follow this, that leads to what we call legalism, or trying to earn God's favour by our good deeds or hoping as many people do that over our lives, the good things will outweigh the bad things and therefore God will accept us. Okay? So if we only stress living godly lives without stressing the grace of God, then that results in legalism or what we call salvation by works, which is never sufficient. We're only saved by grace through faith. However, if we stress number one, which is being the fact that we're made righteous in Christ at the expense of living godly lives, just say, well, it doesn't matter because God will keep forgiving me. Then the result of that is what the... German pastor in the time of the Nazis who was in the end uh, persecuted and martyred by them called cheap grace that is we just assume God's grace no God's grace is free but it's not cheap and people have said all sorts of things about this another German Heinrich Heiner a philosopher said this that, of course God will forgive me, that's his job. They would probably said it in humour, but no. Disciples, we make disciples. All that Martin's been speaking about was us being disciples of Jesus. And we're the, the disciples, Jesus said to the original disciples, he said, go and make disciples of every nation, And amongst other things, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so our prayers have great effect because we're righteous in Christ. But our prayers have great effect because we're seeking to live obedient lives to Jesus in this current world. In this present generation, we're going to live for God. And because of that, our prayers have great power very important. Because sometimes churches are in danger of legalism. Sometimes they're in danger of cheap grace. Well, God just accepts me. Yeah, he does. But he empowers you to live for him. And the second lesson is that God always provides for those who serve him. Now, this isn't what some people call the prosperity gospel. That if we're Christians we're meant to be rich. And all that sort of stuff. Which is false gospel. No this wasn't that sort of prosperity. It was living in a wadi in the desert. Not the most uh, comfortable place to live. But he did get meat. Relying on ravens morning and evening. And it wasn't prosperity. To simply live with a widow. In Zarephath. But. We can have confidence that whatever our circumstances, the promise to a generous people is this. And God will generously provide all you need. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. So God will provide for you in this time. Third lesson. God usually works from the margins of life, not the center. That's the opposite of today's celebrity culture, the celebrity culture in the world, and sadly, the celebrity culture in the church. God here worked at the margins. He worked from the people that didn't really count. A prophet from Gilead, which was across the Jordan, far from Samaria or Jerusalem, the two capitals. God worked through a Gentile, a very poor widow, that's a non-Jew, a very poor widow in a village outside of Israel. God is always on the move, and he is today, but usually through insignificant people and places where today we Westerners particularly would not expect. And an American commentator on this chapter said this, if the word is rejected in Samaria, God finds a place where it will be welcomed in Zarephath. If he is ignored and despised in Los Angeles, which is where he was writing from, he will go to work in in Lagos, which he is today. Hallelujah. He's working all over the world. And in this story, God is also at work outside Israel, in the desert, in modern day Lebanon. And God is still doing that today. Don't just follow the big celebrities. Don't just follow the famous people. Believe that God is working through ordinary people all over the world. Churches you've never heard of. Churches that are multiplying and being, uh, being very, very fruitful. And God is working through you, even if you don't consider yourself very, very important. God is working through you. That's how God does it. He works from the margins, generally, when not from the center. So, one or two conclusions. And first conclusion is always, what does this story tell us about Jesus? We need to find Jesus throughout scripture. And Jesus quoted this scripture when he preached in Nazareth, his hometown. Okay, and he said, you know, God went to, the prophet Elijah was sent by God Two people outside of Israel. And he was opposing the nationalism in, Zara- in Nazareth. Also, as Elijah went into the desert, Jesus went in the desert to resist temptation and so overcome the devil, the enemy of our souls. Jesus went to widows. Jesus went to the outcasts. Jesus went to those excluded from the temple he took the presence of God to those that weren't allowed to go into the presence of God in those days he told the people that he found great faith among those outside of Israel Jesus then encountered death and overcame it not just in raising one boy from the dead like Elijah did although he did that as well but entering death itself to overcome it and rise again to give us the insur- assurance that death has been overcome and that when we've all faced physical death, we go to be with our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And so that story tells us about Jesus, what does the story tell us about us? God will provide for us. Our prayers will have power with God. As we live godly lives like Elijah. Yes, he's a man just like us. His prayers were powerful. Ours will be powerful because we're righteous people and seeking to live righteous and godly lives. Let's pray together. Father, we pray. We pray that we may be a church of very effective prayer. May we be righteous people, counted righteous because of Jesus' death for us on the cross, but living godly lives in the time in which we live. Lord, I pray, give us that and provide for us during this time. In Jesus' name. Amen.